This morning's reading is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. The Supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation, if you continue in your faith, established and firmed, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let me have my welcome. Uh, my name's Matt Fuller. If we've not met, lovely to uh, have you with us. A uh, few have emerged back uh, into the London rain uh, since last week. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Let's pray together as we begin. Our Father, you're a good God. You're a great God. And so often we shrink you in our minds, in our hearts, in our thinking. Please, as we turn to your word again this morning, would you elevate our eyes to see you, particularly the Lord Jesus, more clearly, his majesty, his grandeur, his supremacy over all in this world, over our lives, over all in creation, so that we have great confidence in him and delight in him and live to the praise of his name. Amen. It was only just last week we started looking then at this book of Colossians. Now, this is a bit twee, but uh, uh, let's see if we can listen in on a conversation, perhaps, between uh, Epaphras, uh, we learned last week, he was the man who planted the church, and we'll call him uh, Atticus, who's a member of the church there in uh, Colossae. So uh, Epaphras rings up on uh, his mobile and uh, calls Atticus and says, Atticus, hi, I haven't... You have to do this still for a mobile, don't you? There's nothing you can do. This doesn't really work anyway. Um, Atticus, I haven't seen you for a little while in church. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm fine, but I've left church. Oh. Oh. Why, Why have you done that? Well, I felt... There was something lacking in the church, to be honest, and something lacking in in what you were teaching us. Um, I wanted just a bit more. Uh, Jesus doesn't seem to, your Jesus doesn't seem to protect me from the evil there is in this world. Uh, If I'm honest, I just want a bit more success, blessing, here and now. But Atticus, you have everything. 
Jesus is not deficient. You've got everything you need. Well, you say that, but actually life hasn't been going so well recently. And I look at your mate Paul, and, well, he's in prison. So being a follower of his Jesus doesn't seem to do him much good. I don't want a life in prison. I want signs, wonders, experiences. I want higher spirituality. I want success and blessing. He's dropped the phone. The, um, I want more Epaphras. Atticus, you have all you need. Now, that's a little bit twee, but in a sense, that seems to be the issue and why Paul, from prison, has written this book of Colossians. So chapter 2, verse 4, uh, some have been writing. So Paul says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Clearly, some in this town of Colossae have been taken in by fine-sounding arguments. They'd been impressed by what others had been teaching. And when we read through the letter, it looks like what these, I don't know what you'd call them, false teachers perhaps, what these people have been offering is, I know, a shortcut to maturity. Uh, you can be a sort of better Christian really quickly if you follow these steps, these rules. You can have ecstatic visions. It can be much more exciting the Christian life than it is now. That's quite appealing on one level, isn't it? It just appeals to pride. There's another issue here of uh, security as well. Uh, the, the city of Colossae seems to be well, a great deal of nervousness about spirits, evil spirits. Are the spirits going to come and ruin my life? And so it seems, again, these false teachers are saying, no, no, we can offer you security. So and those things, in one sense, always have appeal. You can be more, ch- more mature, more successful. Nice. Tick. I can give you security. Nice. Tick. Those things always have appeal in every single culture. But what they were teaching came at the expense of a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And so, as we said, the, um, often it's, uh, people will comment that uh, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 are a good summary of the book. Paul writes to this church in Colossae and says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Keep going. Continue as you were taught. That is the way to being strong, strengthened in the faith. That is the way to thankfulness, to actually have a life which is not marked by insecurity, but a pleasant, joyful thankfulness. Keep going with Jesus Christ. Now, my tweet little phone call, in one sense, there's slight guesswork as you read this letter, that that's what the sort of problems were. But undoubtedly, the answer that Paul offers to whatever is going on is clear. You need to have a bigger vision, a larger vision of Jesus Christ. And know that in him... You really do have everything you need for life in this world and security that you'll be with him in the next. You have everything that you need. And so this little section we're looking at today, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23, there's a sense in which they underpin the rest of the book. Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. You don't need to turn anywhere else. And many of our problems in this life will come because 
our view of Jesus is just too small. So, okay, forgive me. The, uh, Jesus can be a little bit like this. Here's uh, I've raided uh, the uh, the toy cupboard, and here is a little Playmobil figure. Uh, it's his sort of black hair, black beard, slightly swarthy and short, so a bit like a Nazarene in the first century, vaguely. And we can treat Jesus a bit like this little Playmobil figure. And so it's Sunday, so out he comes, and um, we may have him there so we can see him. Uh, but then we just put him away again. And we might get him out again in a crisis. Golly, I need some help. Will you help? I don't know. But essentially, he's just too small. If you have a Jesus like this, no wonder there's no great confidence in him or delight in him or indeed trust that he can provide what we need. And often, actually, be a Christian or non-Christian, our Jesus, our Christ is just too small. And if we have a, a larger vision of who he is, actually then we shrink and it humbles us, and our anxieties shrink. Because while problems may be very, very real, we know that we have one who is our king in Jesus Christ who can handle them. And so really, these little section 15 to 23, you could read it and say, okay, well, I've read it and Jesus sounds good. What am I meant to do? What am I meant to do with chapter 1, verses 15 to 23? And the answer is very simple. Trust Jesus Christ. Be delighted in him. Be thrilled by him. Have confidence in him. And go on your way, joyfully giving thanks. I try to keep it simple. Uh, It works a little bit like this, I guess. He's supreme over all things, verses 15 to 18. He'll reconcile all things, verses 18 to 20. So the application really is hold on to him. That's what we're to do. You see this little phrase, all things, all things, comes up so many times. There is nothing outside of his control. So uh, uh, verse 16, by him all things were created. Uh, End of verse 16, all things created by him and for him. Verse 17, he's before all things. Verse 17, in him all things hold together. You drop down to verse 20, he will reconcile all things, everything. There's nothing outside of his dominion. So let's take these two in turn. First then, uh, chapter 1, verses 15 to 18. Jesus Christ, he's supreme over all things. Now when Christy read this, it's not a bad CV, is it? If you had this down as your, uh, as your, um, on an application form. This may be so impudent you can tell me off afterwards. But imagine you're in a scenario where you could... In, you, you had to interview Jesus Christ for the job of Lord of your life. I, mean, I know it's impudent, and, you know, but if you imagine that situation, so, Jesus, what do you think qualifies you to be Lord of my life in charge of me? Well, we can go through that, actually. I've got a good answer to that, he says. I made everything that there is in this entire world. I own everything that there is in this entire world. I sustain everything that there is in this world. I don't want to be too personal, says he, but I did make you in order to worship me. And I keep your heart going second by second. I think I'm a good choice as Lord of your life. 
Uh, it's a bizarre scenario, of course. He never exists, but you get, he's a very good CV he's got. To, to state the obvious, these are extraordinary claims. 25 years after the death of the Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter from Galilee, what he taught is what his followers are teaching, that that man was God and ruler of all. So what Let's look at some of the detail. Uh, verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God. Not just a copy, uh, not just like the image of the Queen on our banknotes or Alex Salmon on the Scottish banknotes in years to come, whatever it may look like. The, um, not just an image or copy, but the exact representation or the fullness of God, we're told a little later on, verse 19, dwells in Jesus. So not just a copy because he shares the reality of who God is. He's, verse 15, the firstborn over all creation, just as we'll be told he's the firstborn of redemption down in verse 18. Firstborn doesn't mean the one who is born first, because he's uncreated, but supreme over. Elsewhere in the Psalms, David is described as the firstborn of Israel, not that he's the first one who's ever born, but he's king over Israel. It's a title in Psalm 89. But the emphasis in this section really is on him ruling over all things. Uh, A simple little way is just by looking at three prepositions. So verse 16, by him all things were made. End of verse 16, for him all things. And verse 17, in him all things hold together. This is useful, just those three. By him, for him, in him, all things. Let me just run through them. Again, verse 16, tops and tails with, by him, all things were created. You get a little list. So things in heaven and on earth just means everything. Things which are visible and invisible, which means everything. And then verse 16, you get this fourfold list then, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities. Now, for Paul, that's the language of spirits. Evil spirits, I think is the best understanding, that have fallen, rejected God. You see it across just in chapter 2, verse 15, again, a reference to upon the cross, Jesus disarms the powers and authorities. Now, what do these titles mean? We don't really know. Um, is a throne more important than a power? Is a authority better than a, th- a, um, a throne? We don't know. It's neither here nor there. Paul is simply saying, all spirits that you're scared of, the supernatural world, everything there, Jesus made it. So don't worry. Don't worry. So it seems that the, the, the false teachers in Colossae are saying, whoa, yes, evil spirits are all about, aren't they? We can help you with them because Jesus, he can't help you with them. And Paul is saying, no, he made all things. He can control them. You don't fear if you're with him. Now, that's not so much an issue for us, is it, I guess. If, uh, if you were here on Wednesday night, uh, Matt and Katie Lindy, one of our, um, Lindley, the, they are one of our mission partners in Madagascar. They were here with us uh, uh, talking about uh, life in Madagascar and the church and what they're doing. Uh, and uh, they'd say, yeah, if you're in Madagascar, 
fear of spirits is endemic in the culture. You just wander around, and most doorsteps have got little offerings to, uh, to the spiritual world. Enormous fear of their ancestors and how their ancestors might curse them. Lots of people wear amulets to ward off the evil spirits. So there's a great deal of fear that rulers, authorities in the spiritual realm will attack them. Now, we're in the West, so we are more mature and enlightened and educated, and so we don't fear spirits. And none of us here fear any authorities or powers or awkward bosses or clients with authority over us. The the shape of the fear may be different. We may not offer a a little offering to ward off great-granddad Frank, but fear is pretty normal. That's the main thing he's saying here. For them in Colossae, don't be scared of spiritual beings that you can't see. Jesus made them. That may or may not be an issue for you. depends where you're from. But don't be scared of whatever it is you're fearful of this week. Because Jesus Christ, he made them it. He does rule. When you feel vulnerable or feel that the church, the Christian church, perhaps in the UK is vulnerable, don't worry. You do have Jesus. You have the Creator. There's nothing to be scared of because everything's made by him. Everything's made for him as well, verse 16. Uh, At the end of that verse, all things created by him and for him. Now that is striking. Everything in this creation is made for the glory of Jesus Christ. Everything. Every mountain, every snowflake, every storm, every bird in the sky, every shark in the sea, every insect on the ground. And I guess acutely in the little context of what he said here, even those things which are hostile to Jesus Christ are made by him and for his glory. That's interesting. The living God didn't make anything that is evil. But he uses everything that is evil in this world eventually for his glory. So we get very scared by evil and things that are hostile. But somehow, not explained fully here, but somehow every evil angel, every evil despot of history, every evil disease that we fear, is used by God for the glory of Jesus Christ. It's all for him. Everything. So don't fear it. Not if you have him. Don't turn anywhere else for security. All things are made by him. They're made for him. And this third little uh, preposition, by him, for him, and in him. So verse 17, he's before all things... And in him, all things hold together. 
Now, that's not just a, a reactive role. It's not as if Jesus runs around the globe with a, with a, um, a roll of sellotape saying there's a problem there and so, and so runs around constantly and eventually just thinks, oh, I'll just wrap the whole world up in sellotape and then it'll be fine. It's not a sort of reactive, I'll just hold everything together just about. But he, he sustains everything in its place. Of course, the biblical writers may not have known the law of gravity, but they're conscious that there are constants in this world. All Paul is saying is that they're all because of Jesus. He sustains everything. Every star is held in place by him. Every heartbeat of every insect is there because of him. Every cell in your body moves or doesn't move or springs back to place or doesn't because of him. He sustains everything second by second. Now, I think the main point of all Paul is saying here in context is so you can trust him. You don't need to go anywhere else. You can trust him. Don't fear these other evil powers or whatever they may be. But beyond that, I think you'd have to say, you read this list and see Christ stands at the beginning of the universe, and he stands at the end of the universe, and it's all his. It's all his, and it's all for him. And here we are at some point, all of us in the middle. And here's a call to remember that it's all for him. The universe is not made for us, by us, and if we weren't actively doing our job, it would still go on okay. It's all his. And we are to live for him. For him. So, of course, we can run our lives with Jesus in our pocket and pull him out occasionally and plop him back in, or even less of that, with no regard to him whatsoever. And we can do a job which is okay, I guess. But what a waste. Because it's all made for him, and we're made for him. So you could go home this afternoon, you may have a nail to bang into a wall, and you could take out a frying pan and use the frying pan to bang the nail into the wall, and it would kind of work eventually. But what a waste, because a frying pan is useful for other things. Or you could go home this afternoon and pull your telly out and sit down on it and have a conversation to someone while they're sat, you're sat on the telly and they're sat on the toilet and you're having a conversation. You with the seat down, I don't mean to be crude, but, but uh, and you think, well, what a waste of the telly. I mean, it functions as a seat, just about. Even a flat screen is a slightly uncomfortable seat. It just about works. But what a waste of the TV. It's not what it's made for. It can be much more useful. And we can live our lives with our own desires and our own objectives and our own uh, vision of what life could be like. But what a waste. What a waste. Because we're made for more than that. We're made for him. So live for him. He is supreme over all things. Supreme over all. Secondly, flowing from that, he'll reconcile all things. Uh, Verses 18 to 20. Verse 18, he is the head of the church, excuse me, the head of the body, the church, he's the beginning and the firstborn, that word again, from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So Jesus is firstborn of creation, that is supreme over. He's firstborn of the new creation, and he's supreme over. Not just that in time he was the first to be resurrected from the dead, to live forever, 
although that is true. But again, he is supreme over resurrection life, new creation. I guess it's possible you could read verses 15 to 18 and say, wow, so Jesus rules over everything. And then verse 18, and he rules over the church. Well, that's less impressive because the church is less impressive than the whole of the globe, to be honest. Uh, but I was struck by one little sentence in a commentary, which uh, I put it, put it very succinctly, I thought. Christ could produce the world with a word, but it needed his own incarnation and death to produce the church, the church of reconciled sinners. That sort of slightly caught me short. Yes, of course, the extraordinary wonders of this world he created with a word, but the church of redeemed, reconciled sinners, well, that took his incarnation and his death. How is Jesus the head of the church? We're told he's the head. Verse 19, how, how does that come? Where does that flow from? He's the head of the church, so that in everything he may have the supremacy. Verse 19, because for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. It's a strong phrase, isn't it? All his fullness. But it's slightly unnecessary. You can't have half a fullness. Can I have a full tank of petrol? Yes. Can I have all of a full tank of petrol? Yes. Can I have half of a full tank of petrol? What do you want? Half of all of it. All of fullness. He's really laying it on for emphasis here. There is nothing that God has which was not in Jesus Christ. All of his fullness was there. Strong phrase. And that is necessary because it needed to be fully God himself in order to reconcile a broken world to himself. And he was pleased to do it that way. Verse 19, no reluctance in God's saving plan. He was pleased. No resistance, no Resentment. He was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. How? Well, peace was made through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross. So just, what's this? Tangentially, uh, some, of course, don't warm, or or put it more strongly, or instantly dislike any talk that Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. It sounds exclusive. It sounds divisive. and supreme power, that never sounds like a good thing. Uh, supreme rulers, they're things like ayatollahs of, of nasty people. No, we don't like things like that. Uh, and we know our history, and we know that power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts, absolutely. So which supreme power doesn't sound very good, so we don't like it instinctively. But do notice, of course, how Jesus uses his power. That's the wonderful thing about this God. He uses his power for us. And he uses his power, all the fullness that he has. He has supremacy over all things. And how does this God, Jesus Christ, use his power? Verse 19, the fullness of God was in him. And what does he do? Reconciles to himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He uses his supremacy to save a people who had rejected him. Now, that's the sort of power we like. 
or this is a daft example, let me put it this way. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, we were in the Vendée in France, and I went swimming in the Atlantic coast, and uh, it was a very beautiful beach, um, and uh, the efficient uh, coast guards uh, or lifeguards had put out boys, and so there was a sort of marked area for swimming. It was insufficient for one of my supreme swimming abilities, so I thought to myself, I like swimming, I like ocean swimming, and this sort of 50-metre buoyed area was pitiful. Uh, and so I could see, you know, a little way out, there was a boat anchored, moored up. I thought, right, that's a good destination, I shall swim to the boat and back again. Ha <laughs> So off I went, and uh, not far past the, uh, the buoyed area, I'm swimming beautifully, like a, fi- no, not really, but um, uh, swimming anyway in some fashion, and uh, uh, a lifeguard uh, came kayaking up to me. I'd said very politely, I should say that, very politely in French, you need to turn around. Uh, and I said, why? He said, strong, is what I understood to be strong current. He may have said riptide, my French is not that good. But anyway, strong current, he was clearly indicating, was, uh, was the problem there. I said, I'm fine. It's a good, I'm a good swimmer, I'll be fine. He was a little more insistent. I was a little more objectionable. Um, and at that point, he insisted by slightly indicating he would cut off me and hit me over the head with his paddle uh, unless I turned around. Uh, and at that point in time, I, with a deep resistance and, of course, petty xenophobia about the rules of another nation, um, turned around and started obediently, miserably, resentfully swimming back towards the shore. And as I swam, I got nowhere. I thought, oh, there's a little bit of a current here. And so I started swimming a bit faster. Oh, I'm not going very far. And so I absolutely went for it. At that point, he came alongside me again and smiled and said, would you care for a tow? (laughs) And I'm pleased to inform you I'm far too proud to accept such a thing. And so I uh, stubbornly, uh, about half an hour later, take me about five minutes to swim over, about half hour to swim back, collapsed in a complete heap upon the beach. Now... He had exercised his supremacy over me. He was in charge. He knew what he was doing. He had insisted that I submit to him. And I hated that and resented that and thought I knew better. The truth is, he did save me. Or save me from the greater embarrassment of being dragged down and um, thrown at least over across uh, his kayak. And you, I can say that you'd be pleased to know that the next day I saw the man on the beach and found it within the depths of my stubborn heart to at least smile at him and say again, thank you, uh, to him. Supremacy exercised by him for my good. Now that is a daft little story. But here, the extraordinary supremacy of Jesus Christ Don't resent him. Don't rebel begrudgingly against him. Because he uses that supremacy to save. And for our good. That's the nature of this supreme God. He used his supremacy to reconcile us, not by paddling out to sea on a kayak, but by shedding his blood upon the cross. Don't resent him for that. That's wonderful kindness. Now, verse 20, we do need to be clear that this peace, it's not an automatic one. We have a choice. We either freely accept the peace of Jesus Christ, one upon the cross, or we have it imposed upon us when he returns. Now, that's true of any conflict, I guess. 
in any war. Peace can come through the laying down of your arms, or it can come because you're overwhelmed by the one you've declared your enemy. I guess the only difference here is Jesus Christ has, well, he's put down his weapons at the cross. He said, I will pay for your crimes. I will pay the reparations. I will pay for the rebuilding of the nation, as it were. We simply need to lay down our pride. There's no payback that we have to make to him. We lay down our pride at the cross, trust what Jesus Christ has done, and follow him. But we will be reconciled to him, either willingly, voluntarily, or through being overwhelmed, having that imposed upon us at the end of time. But there will be peace, perfectly. And it does come through the cross, according to verse 20, whether we accept that or have that imposed upon us, so it seems to me. So verse 20, through him to reconcile to himself all things, that word again, everything. So again, I take a reference to all those powers that are hostile to Jesus, all those people who are hostile to Jesus, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the cross. So it is through the work of the cross that all things are reconciled. I take it that there is not a single part of God's universe that is unaffected by the cross. No rock, no mountain, no stream, no insect, no frog, no goat, no human is unaffected by the cross. There is no place on earth where Calvary is irrelevant, no creature unaffected, because through that central cosmic event of history, it is through that the whole of creation will be remade. It is the turning point of the whole of this world. Now or the future, all things will be restored to their proper relationship with Jesus Christ. This work of the cross makes him absolutely supreme over all things, not only in this creation, but into the next. He's supreme over all things. He will reconcile all things now or in the future. So hold to him. Verses 21 to verse 23. Hold to him. Verses 15 to 20, then all about Jesus. 21 to 23, all of a sudden you. You, 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 you. Here's the application of his cosmic rule. So verse 21, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm, not moved from the hope held out, of the, held out in the gospel. He's addressing Christians and saying, do you see what difference this makes to you? Once you were alienated, verse 21, that's the story of the whole of humanity. There's an antagonism between us and God when there should be harmony. That's our natural inclination. That's the natural position we find ourselves in. Our evil behavior alienates us from God. His just response alienates him from us. We're enemies. It's very black and white, isn't it? That is the natural condition of one and all alienated, enemies, hostile, 
once you were alienated, now reconciled, verse 22, by Christ's physical body through death. That's the story of every Christian. 21 is true of everyone in humanity, alienated, enemies of God. 22, true of every Christian, now reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy. That's our status in his sight. Without blemish, that's our record in his law books. Free from accusation, that's how he views us. What have we done wrong? Nothing. If we're trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ, legally we're completely clear. But there is, of course, this condition, verse 23. If you continue, he says to Christians, because if you turn from Jesus Christ, well, you're declaring yourselves an enemy of his again. You do need to continue in this. Jesus Christ is supreme over all things. He will reconcile all things. So continue in him. Why would you not? (laughs) Or why would you not begin to trust in him? Verse 23, you'll be established and firm, not sort of knocked about by the circumstances of life. You'll be not moved from the hope held out in the gospel, a much greater stability. So you and I, we, we simply need a bigger Jesus as we go into a new day, week, year. We need a big Jesus who we trust because he is Lord over all things. I was with a, a friend uh, recently, and his three-year-old, his three-year-old said to him, my, sorry, said to me, my daddy is so strong, he can lift up our house. Uh, to which daddy chuckled. And, you know, that's very sweet from a three-year-old. And, of course, as every father comes, there is the moment of disappointment when questions get asked. Daddy, can you, you know, lift up a car? No. Oh. Daddy, did you play sport for England? No. Oh. There's a moment of disappointment in the life of every child. But with us, it's the other way around when we're adults. We, we expect too little of Jesus. We can ask Jesus, are you in control of all things? Yes, I am. Can you reconcile your, the greatest of your enemies to you? Yes, I can. Can you keep me secure in this life? Of course. There's no moment of disappointment, actually, with Jesus Christ. The more we know him, the greater we understand him. Is growth in, oh, you can do more for me. You are bigger than I imagined. So we need Jesus to grow. It means that we shrink in our opinion of ourselves, but also that our anxieties shrink because we trust him. He is over all things. Let's pray together. So, Father, we pray you would give us an expanded vision of Jesus Christ. We would recognize him as the one who is supreme and therefore supremely trustworthy, the one who is saviour, who we need to cling to, 
And Father, in having a greater view of him, would perhaps our own view of ourselves shrink, our ambitions shrink, our anxieties shrink in the confidence we have that he is supreme over all. We pray it in his great name. Amen.